Okay, my happy congregation. It's time for us to come together into the sharing of the Word of God. First thing I want to start off today is actually I want to start off with a commendation to you as a congregation. You know, in our reading today, and I'll say, well, what passages are I going to read about giving? But in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, Paul writes a simple, oh, about seven-word sentence. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, obviously, he's talking about his son, Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is, if you look above in the context, he's talking about the saints giving. Giving of their finances materially to help the church around the world. Many churches in that early uh, century when Paul was alive uh, were under severe persecution. Um, the Jerusalem church, we know, uh, got very poor because of a famine and maybe because of the economic system they decided upon within the church for a while. Uh, but Paul is commending this church because they raised a tremendous amount of finance for some cause, and we may not know that. Um, but he was giving them thanks for their generosity. And I say all that to you because over the last few months, since we had our meeting, last couple of months we had our meeting, and um, we, we, uh, the giving has, you have give, given very well, to be honest with you. And I want to commend you for that. We don't use that money here for our own personal purposes. Yeah, we have donuts at Fellowship Hall. But as you know, in January, and after our... Uh, our meeting together, um, we gave $800 to 12 various organizations, and just about all of them of which propagate the gospel around the world. Paul is understanding from this passage is, is commending them for their giving because he knows what that giving is going to do. It's going to go out and help churches and things function. Ministries do have to have money to function, and in a sense, we are commanded by God to give. But Paul writes, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsions, because God loves a cheerful giver. Family, we give to the things we love. Reflect on our hearts. What is it that we really love? Hearts out of love for God are going to give to God. And I do want to commend us because your giving has shown a love for God, family. And I did want to start out with that today because as I saw that, and you know, we're not here. We're not a fundraising group here. We don't have a covenant with the church that says you, thought you will give that much. We would be establishing a religion then. We don't do that. You are giving out of your own goodwill. And when you do that, we want to say thank you because that giving goes out to other Christian organizations that also do the work of the good news. Okay? So this is a thank you message to you. Uh, for doing that in your generosity. And I do want to encourage you to keep on doing that. Sometimes Paul said, keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, in, in the gospel, when you're doing things good, you want to keep doing them. And so I encourage you also to be energized and continue to give to the cause of the good news around the world. Amen? Okay, I had to change the title to the core of Christian unity which is the same title, because the last two times I preached, I basically laid a foundation. And the first time I, I preached, I talked about the book of Philippians. I talked a little bit about the city of Philippi and how it was a military city. It was a great place to be for military members, because like here, there were no taxes, um, no property taxes, things like that. 
you can correct me on the taxes here, but I do believe we don't have property taxes here, but it was, a, it was an advantageous place to live. And that all was rooted in when uh, Brutus and Cassius lost to Mark Antony and Octavius in a battle after Caesar was killed. Um, and uh, uh, Octavian allowed those the, the army that lost to stay there. They could never go back to Rome, but they could stay there in the city of Philippi. And that's how that city was formed. It was named after Alexander's the Great's father, uh, Philip of Macedon. Is how the city got its name. Um, just a little history for you, how that came about. Um, but you and I are here in, in a city like Philippi, living here in Mayport. <laughs> um, and then the last time I preached... I talked about Jesus' great prayer before he went to the cross in John 17, that they may be one, and titled the sermon that we may be one. Um, I didn't intend to preach that whole sermon on that, but nevertheless, God leads us that way sometimes. And you know, the heart of our Christian unity is going to be seen in how much we love one another. Jesus' prayer before he went to the cross He mentioned us in that. He did pray for his apostles, but he prayed for us. He prayed for those who were going to believe as a result of the apostles sharing the word. And one of the most important things he prayed was that they may be one. The heart of Christian unity in Christ. Let's look at our text of Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Paul wrote, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on how many purposes? One purpose. Not many purposes, not individual purposes, one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his or her own interests, but also for the interests in others, being part of each other's lives. That's what that's saying. Adapt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the former God did not consider equality God as something to be exploited or grasped, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Our gracious God, and truly you are gracious, we give you thanks for Christ our Savior. And Lord, that we can look forward one day that we will bow before you in that humble reverence and confess that you are Lord. But Lord, it's important that you be Lord of our lives. It is important for us to know and understand what that word Lord means. I do pray today, Lord, as I speak, that you would 
Make my message clear. This is your message, Lord. This is your word. Give us understanding. Encourage our hearts to give us a greater walk with you. Touch those who might be lost in our congregation and need a savior. May they understand that that, say, that sin separates you from yourself. And may they want to know to come to know Christ and understand what he did for them on the cross and be reconciled to him. Bless this time we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus prayed to his Father that they may be one. And he prayed that as we are one. God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they are united. They have one purpose. What they decree will happen. You can't change God's decrees. When God decrees something, it's going to happen. It's going to happen the way he called for it, the way the Trinity planned it. And that happened with the way Jesus came uh, to this earth. What is our generation doing like? You know, if you want to look at the past history in regard to unity in the church, we have not done very well with that, have we? I mean, I know many times in the history that we follow, it was around uh, 1517 when Martin Luther posted what was called the, uh, um, the 95 Theses on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel in Germany. It started a landfall. And, and most people don't understand that those 95 Theses, they were written in Latin. They weren't written in the German language. It was supposed to be written 95 points for debate. And Martin Luther was just a junior monk. <laughs> you know, those of you who might have a Lutheran back here, background here do know this. But it's, it just it started a wildfire. The other time wildfire started was in the second Great Awakening in this country. The first Great Awakening at the time of Jonathan Edwards, which is credited started around 1741 with a sermon titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, um, that one was kind of a Calvinistic revival. John Calvin was a great theologian who lived in the 1500s, near contemporary to Martin Luther, uh, who wrote The Institutes of the Christian Religion, a great, great, great book if you've never read it. It's big, it's thick, but it's an amazing volume. Um, but many of the, that revival mainly followed the teaching of, of John Calvin. It was basically the Puritans and uh, those who followed the Puritans and that revival went up to about 1750s. But around 1800 in this country, there was another great revival. It's called the Second Great Awakening, and things began to change. From that revival, many, many groups started to break apart from each other. You can list the names of many, the Church of Christ, uh, others, that fell apart because they didn't, they didn't have that unified belief and purpose. And some of them broke out in anger, some of them broke out in jealousy, whatever. But the plethora of denominations that we have in this country now really have stemmed mostly from the Second Great Awakening. We weren't doing well as one. We weren't doing and following what Christ taught us to do as a church. And we still struggle with unity today. But what does it say here? We need to be intent on one purpose as a church. Arguments and fights in churches usually cause, come about because we take our eyes off Christ. Because we take our eyes off the mission. If any of you have ever been through a church split, I think you'll understand that be true. 
I think I told you in the past I was part of one of these in 1995. You had a high type A pastor in a farming community outside Springfield, <laughs> Missouri, in farming land. People who were set in their ways, it, it boiled and it was not a good mix. The pastor wanted to bring the church into what was then the late 20th century, and the church wanted to stay and be what it was. And it brought so much contention that eventually, about a year or so later, I served on the staff at this church, that's why I knew about all this. Um, it, it started the wildfire of, of separation and uh, a church split that was pretty ugly. Uh, the community, I, like I say, the Canaanites and the Parasites, the world was watching. Because they love a good church fight and they were gossiping about it. Nothing good comes out of something like that. Now I want to say to you, family, there's only two reasons why you ever get your passage, uh, dismiss a pastor. There's only two reasons. One is doctrinal deviance. Let's say they stop believing the resurrection. Well, Jesus' resurrection was just a spiritual resurrection. That's heresy. Jesus came in bodily form. If you don't believe that, read the book of Luke. He says, not a ghost. You can touch me. You can feel me. You can see I'm eating. Ghosts don't do that. All right? That's doctrinal deviancy. Or the other one is, you know, the per- immorality and things like of that nature. Well, there was none of that in this case. It was people fighting, fighting for prominence and power and stuff in the church. That's been the biggest problem with the church through the years. And the violations of Christian unity. They weren't honoring, blessed be the tide that binds our hearts in Christian love. When was the last time we sang that hymn? I can't remember. Probably when I was a kid. (laughs) It's a beautiful song. My church, when I was young, we used to sing that song after communion. Church would get in a circle. We'd hold hands. Did yours do that? We'd hold hands and we would sing, blessed be the tide that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship, I I, I can almost, the fellowship of kindred spirits, I almost remember it. But it's a beautiful hymn, and I'm sure it's in your hymnal if you want to take a look at that sometime. But we don't do very good with Blessed Be the Tide. Well, let's take a look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first reason, when we talk about Christian unity, the first reason that Jesus Christ is central to unity of church is because of his character. Because of his character. This basically deals with Christ and who he is. This deals with Christ in his nature. You know, Paul, when he was alive, he said, be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ. The term Christian simply means, when it came about, it was the world that gave the name Christian to people. The church at Antioch, the people in the community started calling them Christians, which basically means Christ-like. But it was the disparaging term. It wasn't meant to be favorable. So we bore a name and stuff like that that was given by people that did not, did not necessarily like us. But that's okay. Because we should be Christ-like. Paul says, follow me, mimic me. Be imitators of me. That word comes from a word in Greek that means mimic. If you can't get it right, do what I do is what he's telling you. Unity. Unity. Now, let's take a look over at uh, 1 Peter. You know, I want you to understand the Christian life and the full Christian life in a sense. And maybe in America, oh, well, we don't experience this. We don't have persecution. But I can tell you over the last few years, some 
Christians in America have suffered some pretty intense persecution, if you've been reading and seeing what's happening in the world. But I'm not going to sit up here and stand, or stand up here and sell you a false bill of goods about what the Christian life is and what it's supposed to be about. Go over to 1 Peter. And what did Peter say that Christians were called for? 1 Peter 2, verse 21 to 25. Paul said, or Peter says, for you were called to this. And what is this? He had just got talking, done talking to them about uh, suffering for good rather than for suffering for doing things that were wrong. That God commends those who suffer for good. And then he goes on to say, for you were called for this. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, he, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You were given a new direction when you came to Christ. You and I were to change. So we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer uh, overseer of your souls. If you and I are going to live like Christ, family suffering is part of the Christian life. Don't make the mistake that Job's friends made. Job's friends said to this righteous man who had a right relationship with God, you're suffering because you're a wicked man, Job. No. God calls us to suffering. If we are going to follow Christ's example, at times in our lives, Christian, we're going to suffer. I'm not going to sell you a false bill of goods. Do you want to live like Jesus? That's what we're called to do. If any man be in Christ or woman, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. Your ugly road is now a yellow brick road. But that yellow brick road that leads to heaven is going to have its share of suffering. But you're always going to have your fellowship with Christ. That will never go away. Never. Understand that suffering is part of the Christian life. We look at our world today. People of character are hard to find. We look at Jesus' nature, who he was. Well, we can't find anybody with character. I mean, well, goodness, look at this week. We just have a college scandal. My feeling is, oh, goodness, this has probably been going on for 200 years, <laughs> you know, about this. Um, but every week it seems like there's some new scandal out there. I mean, there's a, a naval officer. Oh, my gosh. Giving awards and flip-flops and robe and treating his uh, sailors like trash. I mean, what's happening with us in this world today? This nation has turned its back on God. That's the problem. The Bible says that the wicked will be turned into hell in any nation that forgets God. Did you hear that? We need to pray for the United States of America, family. 
And we need to pray hard. Things are not good. All is not quiet on the Western Front. The world itself is a powder keg. But you and I need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leaders. Let us not complain. Let us pray. We can't stand and sit on our high horses. And say, we're going to be the critic of everything that's wrong out there. If you really believe that, then get on your knees and pray. There's an old saying, prayer changes things. Do we believe that anymore? We must pray. We must pray. Paul often asked people to pray for him so he could have liberty in sharing the good news. We need this word to get out because it's the only thing that's going to change people's lives. And I'll tell you right now as a chaplain, in my counselings I do, most, most, if not just about all the counselings I do, come from a spiritual problem. I'll venture to say many people that do pills and things like that, and I do want you to to misunderstand me. I have a family member with severe Uh, mental health issues. But many of them would probably do well to take care of the spiritual side of things and probably have a better walk in life. People need the Lord. People need Jesus Christ. Why do we need unity as a congregation and a body? So we can come together and pray for the lost. So we can come together and pray for each other. So we can be united. So we can have that encouragement in Christ. So we can have that consolation of love and that fellowship of the Spirit that comes from God first and then flows in our hearts to each other. This is what brings Christian unity. This is what Jesus taught his disciples to do. Now, we know that they had arguments sometimes. I mean, Paul and Peter had their argument in the book of Galatians when Peter had to, I'm sorry, when Paul had to tell Peter off because Peter was showing favoritism. He said, oh, I better hang around the Jews. I got to look good. No, 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 no. And, and, and boy, did Paul call him out? He sure did. But then we saw that Paul had his argument with Barnabas. And that one, I don't know that was that quite good, because, but it divided those two. And they still went out and did great things and the mission. And later on, the man they argued about, John Mark, near the end of his life, Paul called John Mark a very useful man for the ministry. John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And the argument between Paul and Barnabas was about John Mark because John Mark had left them on one of the journeys, and Paul did not like that. Paul did not want to take somebody along he couldn't trust. But Barnabas kept working on John Mark, took him with him, training him and stuff, that he became so worthy that Paul commended him later in his ministry. You know, sometimes out of broken Christian unity, sometimes something's good can come. But it's not all the time. Don't ever look at it that way. God's people must strive for the unity of the faith. Integrity and character. That affects us individually. It affects us how the world sees us as a body. As a body of believers. We can look at the Navy. 
We can look at the world at large, like say I mentioned, one scandal out there uh, in civilian world and military world. Um, but there's no problem with Christ's character. Can anybody find a flaw in him <laughs> at anything that he did? Why do we follow him as our example? Why are we Christians? Because we want and we strive to be Christ-like. Inside this church itself, when you're looking about, at difficulties, and, and let's talk about when good people fight. Go over to Philippians chapter 4. Verses, uh, starting right at verse 1. Well, actually verse 2. I urge, and that word there, urge, is very strong. Paul is saying, I beg, I beg, Iodia, and I beg, Sintiki, to agree in the Lord. Aren't those great names, Iodia and Sintiki? I love those names. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Work with them. Get these two back together. They shared in my struggle in sharing the good news. But they're not together right now. It is causing problems with the unity in the church. We must deal gently with this, these situations, and we must deal gently in Christian love. We all have our personalities. We all have our quirks. We all have our baggage, folks. But we cannot let that interfere with the good news and what the purpose of the ministry is all about. We must always strive together for the unity of the church. It's that important. The devil likes nothing better than to divide. Nothing better. And that's why people mock the church. They love to see Christian scandals. The Canaanite and the Parasite are always out there watching when something goes wrong. Yeah, I see they're all a bunch of phonies out there. Ho, 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 ho. You know, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Never heard that one before? Yeah, well, you are too. That's usually what I say back. You are too. You're not who you say you are. Who are you to judge? People make mistakes. And if they do make mistakes, we handle them in a Christian way. Discreetly, wisely, and most importantly, in love. In love. I want to say I'm sorry to my heart to every one of you who have suffered in the result as a church from behavior like that. It's not the way it should have been. It's not the way it should have been. Paul is telling them with the Odeon Sintiki, please handle this wisely. Please handle this discreetly and understand the love and the bond that needs to be between us in Christian unity. These two women were well, so well known in the church, worked with Paul, put their lives probably on the line. But for some reason, something came between them. And Paul said it's time to repair it. You know, in our lives, we've got to repair too, family. We've got to repair things with Christian family members, sometimes with real family members. But we just got to do it. And if you aren't ready to do it, ask the Lord to make your heart ready to do it. He'll do that. He'll do that. If you need somebody, a minister, to arbitrate or something like that, then, then do that. But if the Lord's leading you to do that, just do that. Just say, yes, Lord. Just do that. These good men, women were fighting 
And Paul was begging them to keep the unity and the bond of peace together. Many people come to places like the church with different agendas. And you know, I want to be honest to some of the family members who've been here for many years and stuff. Keep your hearts humble. Keep your character straight, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. Because our mission has never changed. But sometimes we can be somewhere long enough that we think we have ownership of something. I go to gyms long enough and I feel inside my heart I have ownership of the gym. And who are you to be on my machine when I want to use it right now? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think I pull myself back and say so myself. Come on, man. You come walk through the gym, you walk humbly and do your machine when it's open. You know? We get ownership of things, family. Keep it humble. You're giving, you're giving to God. You're here fellowshipping. You're fellowshipping with your Christian brothers and sisters. Amen. Let us love each other. Amen. Let us love us with our imperfections. You know, I have a friend, and some people listen to me on my podcast, and they say, man, sometimes you're hard, you know? You're a revival preacher and stuff. And, and I said, no, I'm a Detroiter. <laughs> sometimes the word of God's tough, and sometimes it's very gracious. Sometimes it's like music. We've got to press the music a little harder, and sometimes we've got to go softer, you know? But all of us have to look at our lives. Regardless of what the preacher is saying. And you have to look at this. You have to look inside. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you when you hear the word of God? Whether it's Chaplain Stanley, myself, or anybody else who gets behind this pulpit. How is that affecting you? How is it affecting you if you're lost when it's saying, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Do you understand there is an eternity your life on this earth is but a vapor and it's going to vanish away. All of it. You may feel like you've been here a long time and stuff like that, but you know what? When I joined the Navy, people said your career is going to go real fast. I said, nah, it's just start. It's going to be all right. Here I am in 19 years. I'm going, oh my gosh, where did it all go? Family, next time we will talk a little bit more about the character of Christ. But I do ask you, in this area of unity, in this introduction, what are you, you and I doing for the consolation of love, affection, mercy? Are we making what Paul says? Paul says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit and intent in one, on one purpose. I would ask this body here to be intent on those things that matter with the gospel, which is what we're about, with missions and getting the good news out to the lost world, make sure and ensure that we are taking care of the fellowship of the saints and kind of looking out for each other. Let us pray for our, our church, our congregation. Pray that we grow. Let us see bodies in these seats, people coming to the Lord, People who are lost, understanding for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is what it's all about. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lo is lost. You who know Christ are saved. Now let's reignite the fire.
Let us share the good news. Let us walk with joy in Christ. He saved you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, Lord, I got Leave the God I love. If you love God, don't wander. Don't leave. Stay. <laughs> Stay. Don't let that hymn be your story like it was the writer of that hymn's story. Doesn't matter what age we are. Because the longer you serve him, the greater he'll grow. And guess what? That's our closing hymn. <laughs> let us serve the Lord together in joy. And like that Bill Gaither, Bill Gaither hymn says, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Let us stand together and sing our closing God today. We're going to continue in Philippians chapter 2. 
Our subject continues to be Jesus Christ, the center of our unity. And basically, these messages are going to look over Christ's character, Christ's humility, and Christ's obedience. But the goal is that these things belong to us as well. To know that Christ being our example, that we should follow in his steps, as it says over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses that I had read last week, and we may look at again today. Um, but last week where we stopped, we, we ended in talking, beginning to talk about uh, two ladies in the church at Philippi, Yodi and Sintiki, who were having great difficulties between each other, and it was causing division within that congregation. Uh, it was causing division. Division is an important study. Some of you have been in places, you know what it's like to have division at work, where people are fighting and arguing against each other. And my goodness, sometimes it happens in the military, although we pretend it never happens. Uh, it does. People fight, battle, play games, or whatever you want to call it. It happens in our context as well. And the sad thing for the church is when it happens in the church, it doesn't just affect the church body, but it also affects its church witness throughout the world in many ways. Let us pray and we'll read uh, the scripture and, and look back at some of these things as they relate to unity and the character of Christ today. Lord, open our eyes today that we might behold wondrous things uh, from your law, from your word. And Lord, help us to learn through your Holy Spirit how to implant them into our daily living. Help us to keep our eyes lifted up and looking to you, the giver of all good things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In first, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on how many purposes? One purpose. Not many purposes. And we need to know what the one purpose is. We really do. Churches have covenants. Churches have creeds. Goodness, we read the Apostles' Creed just a little bit ago together. To the early church, that was their purpose. We can't ever lose sight of something. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I really feel led of the Lord to talk about this today. Our presence here, our presence in this world, our witness to this world, is centered upon what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, right from the start. The interesting thing is, as messed up as the church at Corinth was, and then you can ask yourself this question. These letters were written to Christians. These letters weren't written to lost people. Why would the Apostle Paul have to write an entire chapter? Now, I want you to know division, chapter divisions did not exist in the early church. But we know that 58 verses, I think this is the longest chapter in the New Testament, all devoted to a defense of the resurrection of Christ. 
to his church. This is not a defense of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection of the world, to the world. It's to us. Why in the world would the Apostle Paul have to prove the resurrection to a group of believers? I don't get it to this day, but I am so grateful it's there. You want to know why? This is our one purpose. This is what it's all about. If you don't know this, if this doesn't grip your heart, you better ask yourself if you're really in it at all. And Paul says it right here. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Paul, in the earlier chapters, talked and addressed just about every major issue. I mean, they were having lawsuits against each other. There was incest going on in this church. Divisions, unbelievable divisions in the Corinthian church. And not far from the end of the book, he has to go and spend most of his time, because you guys better look at yourselves and see if you're true believers at all. You don't think so, let's read ahead. Now I want, you to, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I passed on to you as most important, the highest priority, what I also received, that number one, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Old Testament, the, whole, hey, the New Testament wasn't completed at the time the book of Corinthians was written. It was probably written sometimes in the 50 AD time period. What it says written in the scriptures is this was foretold in the Old Testament. Is what was happening. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then it appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and he appeared over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, and most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep or some have passed on. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Why Paul said that was is because Paul never saw Jesus during his ministry. Paul saw Jesus on the Damascus Road well after the resurrection. Knocked him off his high horse, as you know. Family, if you have been saved, this is your purpose and our one purpose as a congregation. It is to show this light of Jesus Christ in our lives, what he has done for us as a believing individual and a faith community. Worship is a full aspect of life. It goes into our spiritual disciplines. It goes into our presence in the house of God. It goes how we show our testimony in the world. And it shows what we did a little bit ago in our giving. Because as you know, giving is also an act of worship. United in one purpose. United because that Savior of ours was crucified, buried, died, or dead. Buried and rose again the third day. This is our great hope. 
why would the Apostle Paul have to spend all 58 verses to encourage Christians to believe, to believe in Jesus Christ in the sense of who he was and that he did what he did. Well, if they were in the faith, he did that for them. And if you're in the faith, he died for you. You are reconciled to God. You have a restored relationship to God. You now walk in faith in him. Let us read on. Intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. others. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at some of the section regarding um, empty conceit, uh, things of that nature. Here's what happened in this church, or in any church. Some people come in with ambition. Some people have high, powerful positions. Maybe they live in the world and they bring that into the church. And maybe sometimes they're natural leaders. That's understandable. But I want everybody to understand, in, in all of us, in all of our contexts, just because you do great in the world or just because you do great in the military career, you don't necessarily take that and bring that to the church and, and, and enforce that there as well in a church body. You and I have to do what God's called us to do in the church body. And God, it's already stated in Scripture who God's called to lead a congregation. One is pastors or elders. The other ones are, have been called deacons. And we don't have deacons here because we're not in a, we can't be an established body in that sense for constitutional reasons. But we do have some people who have served here a long time who kind of serve as leaders, and that's understandable. But the fact of the matter is, how we lead and things like that, if we come in and we start forcing our will on others, that's called selfishness. Those are the kinds of things that probably crept up with Yodi and Sintiki and brought the problem along the way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That is a very important word. And you know, I did a little bit of an etymological research on that word. And it's interesting because originally that word meant a day laborer. And I was like, a day laborer? And I'm wondering, how in the world did it start there and come to what it eventually came to mean? We're going to look at a character shortly who exhibited every bit of this uh, selfish ambition and empty conceit within a church that caused great disruption in the New Testament here in a little bit. But really, these people, this word comes from a day laborer to conduct one such to work for a daily hire. Now, eventually, it became to be referred to as an individual who, uh, who walked with a sense of baseness, selfish interest, ambition, and contention. And somebody like to go around and cause trouble and have to be the person in charge. Furthermore, it says, we do best to see a reference to the despicable nature of those who do not strive after glory, honor, and immortality by perseverance in good works, but who think only of an immediate gain is the best way to understand epithea as base self-seeking. Or simply baseness, the nature of those who cannot lift their gaze up to higher things. They're not looking at the greater purpose. 
They're not looking at the greater thing that I read to you in Corinthians a little bit ago, what Jesus did. The power of God has not touched their life because they're living in a worldly way. Or maybe he did touch their lives at one time and they're walking in the ways of the world that they used to walk in. And Christians are very capable of that, let's be honest here. Very capable of that. But Paul says this is not supposed to be anywhere named in your congregation. Say, well, we've had places where these things happen. Why do we have to strive for love? Love isn't easy, is it? (laughs) It's an easy path. Walking with the Lord in the path of suffering is not an easy way to walk. When Jesus said, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he said, well, you're going to follow me, you lay it all aside. You're dead, you're living a new life. Everybody, when Jesus said that, understood what what he meant. Anybody who went to the cross was not going back home, folks. What did it mean when Jesus said, follow me? Well, he meant you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. It's not an easy road. As old as I am right now, it's not an easy road. And I was saved as a young man at 11. It hasn't been an easy road. But does that mean you quit? Does it mean you stop and drop? I can't do this anymore. You know what? God likes to hear I can't do this anymore in our prayers. All right? (laughs) Sometimes he'll bring us to the end of ourselves. And that's when you die to yourself. And that's when he says, okay, now it's time. Let's get it right. That's called surrender. A term we don't often hear anymore in our churches. Surrender. We must surrender ourselves to him. Surrender ourselves to what he's called us to do. Rivalry, jealousy, and all those things in a congregation are going to do no good for the cause of the gospel of Christ. They're going to do no good for your walk as a Christian. You know... (laughs) William Booth was once asked, the founder of the Salvation Army, do you have any regrets or anything that you think you would have done differently during your walk of faith? And I still shake my head when I hear his response. No, there's nothing I would change. I'm like, whoa, he must have really figured it out. And you know, perhaps William Booth did. Great men of the faith like Charles John Wesley William Booth, who I just mentioned, George Mueller in England, many others. Some of my heroes, David Brainerd, Jonathan Edwards, walked with the Lord in ways that sometimes I don't understand. If you read some of their writings, I, I'm pretty sure that you may not understand some of them either. But it starts with desire. You have a desire to walk with the Lord. You can't do it if you have things like jealousy, selfishness, empty conceit. We can't delude ourselves with these things. Not everybody in the church is called to be a leader. Now let's look over at uh, 3 John. I want to give you a biblical illustration of one of the characters who illustrates this perfectly, what I'm talking about today. In 3 John, there's a character named Diotrephes. You know, let me tell you something. You know, we can talk about not wanting bad press. You don't, you don't want to have your name bad press spread over the Navy Times or whatever publication there is out there. 
But man, when you're talking about the book that's written by the Holy Spirit, you don't want to have bad press. And Diotrephes has lived through 2,000 years now with bad press. And I hope that he had fixed the problem that is, he is described as having here in this, in this passage. John is writing to a man named Gaius who was a faithful believer in the church. But he writes and notates this individual who he heard about. And now here's another shake your head moment. How in the world would this guy say horrible things about the apostle John? But this happened, this is real. And you know what's a picture of some things that has happened through the church that has gone on through over, over 2000 year plus period. But John says in verse nine, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, loves to be first, craves being the leader. This is a very strong word that this man insisted on being prominent in the church, and he was going to have no rivals. He would tolerate no rivals among that body to the extent that not only would he say bad things about people, but his actions indicated who he was. Let's read on. He does not accept what we say. When John is talking about what we say, he does not accept the apostles' teaching. Is that a red flag? Folks, people who speak to you and stuff and do not believe the word of God, that's a huge red flag. A huge. John was the beloved disciple. John was the one that Jesus was most likely closest to. John had a unique walk with Christ. But John was one time called the son of thunder. He didn't always have that loving glow about him, believe me. He's the one who called down, said, Jesus, shall we call down fire now to devour these people? Because they were rejecting the word, Jesus says, stop. You don't, even, you don't know what spirit you're of. This is not what I came here for. I did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. I think John got the message. And John's answer here was very gentle about Diotrephes, because he could have been much stronger. John had authority. But he, Diotrephes did not accept the apostolic teaching, because he did not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. I'm going to go before the church. And I'm going to witness to the things and the problems that this man has caused, this man diatrophy has caused. To the witness of the church. Not just where this church was, wherever he was writing to, but the church at large. unjustly accusing us with wicked words, not satisfied with this. See, Diotrephes went a step further. Not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either. When he says receives the brethren, there were many traveling ministers in those days. And they came to churches seeking uh, to stay, and they would stay at people's homes, and they would minister to those congregations. Now, some of them were false ministers. But many of them were, were true ministers going around and, and they were kind of traveling missionaries. We have those in our time. And they would seek a place to stay, but Diotrephes made it a point to get in the way because this man was going to have no rivals. 
One of these missionaries come in here and the people accept him. By golly, no way, that ain't going to happen. I will have no rival. So he wouldn't let them come. And not only that, but any church member that would take them in, he would have excommunicated. You go ask yourself, well, what kind of church would allow an individual to have that type of power? Folks, well, not the first time it's happened in church history. It's very capable of happening in our day. But he did that. He exercised his personal vanity in the church. He exercised worldly characteristics. His character was out of whack. His character was not indicative of the love that Jesus said for us to have toward one another. A new commandment I give to you that you what? That you love one another. Paul says, let each of you look out for the interests of each other. Not your own interests. Right here in this passage in Philippians. That is character. That is how we respond to each other. We don't do the deeds of diatrophies. We're human beings and we're very capable of doing that. We're very capable even as Christians out of stepping out into backsliding or whatever and acting in ways that we wouldn't normally act. Diatrophies was bad medicine for that church. Not, bad, not just bad medicine, he was poison to that church. Families, that's why Paul writes, we must strive for the unity. We must strive for the oneness, the togetherness of the faith. Well, you ask me, Chaplain Rinaldi, then you say all this, what's a cure for this? Well, there are a couple of cures. God is good. <laughs> Some of them were written right here. But one of them is striving to be godlike. Godliness. Simple godliness. Paul writes in Ephesians, or a few pages over, Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Whoa, how do I do that? That word imitate comes from the Greek word that we get the word mimic from. Basically, we do what Jesus taught us to do. Now, we know he gave us the new commandment. We know that the Holy Spirit wrote through the apostles stuff talking about how we are to strive for unity, unity among the congregations. Why it's so important? Because one of the greatest military strategies, as Satan knows very well, is called divide and conquer. That's why we all together strive for the unity of the body of Christ. And as I talked about in prior sermons, the church hasn't been very good about keeping the unity of faith throughout the centuries. Not done a very good job at it. It's our job as believers to fix that. <coughs> we aren't sitting there in the pew and to be critics. You know, I, God's given you an opportunity in America for many, many places to worship. If you didn't come here, you'd probably go somewhere else. You know, I'd hope you would. We are a welcoming community here. But the fact of the matter is, if you're a believer, you need to be in the house of God. And you need to be a contributing member of the house of God. When you were saved, the Lord gave you spiritual gifts. Have you ever discovered, taking time to discover what yours is? It doesn't matter what you've done throughout your career and stuff. Our work in the ministry and stuff, and our work as Christians individually, regardless of our backgrounds, is never finished until the Lord calls us home. Now some can do and may do more than others. Some have served the Lord for many years. But you know what? At the end of the road, we're not going to say, wow, look at all the great things I've done for God. You know, you're not, a real believer isn't going to say that. 
Are you just going to say, you know, I just did the best I could what the Lord called me to do. We just did our duty. We just did our duty. You know, when the day comes for me to leave this military in a few years, whatever accolades come and stuff like that, and you know, thank yous and things like that, I'm grateful for. But you know what? I just did my duty. <laughs> I was there. I didn't back down when I had to go to Iraq. I didn't back down when I had to go some t- tough uh, scenarios, deployments, whether it be in a hospital or otherwise. I just did my duty. I just did what God called me to do. And I give praise to him for that. Every one of you here have that opportunity. Every one of you. Every one of you are doing that now, and I thank God for it. Keep pressing on. I just did my duty. All praise and honor and glory go to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him, family. It's all about him. Godliness. Be imitators of God. As dearly loved children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you and me. Did that love grip you? And walk in love. Oh, goodness, there it is. Love word. (laughs) As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. It goes on there and talks about the characteristic lost people, but I want to talk about the characteristics for us as Christians. I can spend a lot of time talking about characteristics of lost people and their lostness and how some of us were that at one time. But we, as Christians, need to know how to live our lives or walk in love. And it is a challenge. It is a challenge to accept that that we were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us this example that we should follow in his steps. It's not easy to do. If you think it is, then I doubt you're walking in the faith at all. The challenge is there. Godliness is the cure. Love is one of the cures. Unity is another one of the cures. But to do that, you have to have godlike character. It says in 1 Timothy 4.8, for bodily discipline, this is what we call exercise, okay? I was at the gym yesterday after five-day break getting some exercise and some muscles so I could be strong in the pulpit today. (laughs) But it says it's only a little profit. What it's saying there, it's only temporary profit because we got to exercise again and again and again. But guess what? We got to exercise godliness over and over again. We got to practice that too. But see, godliness is better than physical exercise, and here's why. Because exercise is only of little profit, temporary, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present and for the life to come. Godliness, godlikeness, be imitators of God. It's very important. Imitate. It's where we get the word mimic from. I said earlier. It basically means a continual type of behavior. Do not imitate that which is evil. Don't continue that, continually imitate that which is evil like Diotrephes did. Imitate what is good. Now let's talk about a good godly example. Let's talk about giving some good press, some good media in Scripture. 
Back over in First John, or Third John, I'm sorry, if you want to uh, go back over there. Let's read about somebody who did it right. He did it right. In fact, he did it so correctly that, that John called him out for it. The letter was written to Gaius, who was walking right. But there was another man in the church who John noted who had a testimony, and this man's testimony got out to other churches in that part of the world at that time that the apostle said, voila. You don't want to be like Theocrates, but let me tell you right now, this guy named Demetrius, he's got it right. So if you look down in verse 12, it says, everyone, look at that, everyone speaks well of Demetrius. And not just people, listen to this, even the truth itself. Demetrius wasn't just the man who was kind and gentle and living the walk of love in front of other people. But he loved the word of God and he was putting the word of God into action in the way he lived his life and the people in that congregation knew it. They knew probably if they needed a Bible answer man, Demetrius was the guy to get it from, not Diotrephes. Everybody was afraid of Diotrephes, I'll tell you that right now. I'm sure not anybody wanted to really go around him. But everybody, everybody knew Demetrius. Everybody knew Demetrius as that loving man who worked toward the unity of that church, who understood scripture. And his testimony was so good it even came to the attention of the Apostle John. And John said, if you can't imitate, you can imitate anyone, mimic anyone right in your church, you need to take a look at Demetrius' life. And that's what you want to do. The truth itself speaks well for the way Demetrius is living out the Christian life. Family, I'm telling you, and I'm serious, with all my heart, you and I can't grow in, our, in the Christian faith if we're not taking part in the spiritual disciplines of reading our Bible, praying, meditating, sometimes fasting as God calls us to do that, giving up things, living our lives simply. That's giving up things. We don't need all these things in our lives that distract us from attention to the glory of God. One of my biggest dangers, if I say for distraction, is social media. I'm an infomaniac, family. I really am. I'm an infomaniac that it can keep my attention for good. I was a journalism major uh, when I was in college years ago, and I never lost my curiosity that way. I got to have info, and I got to have it now. <laughs> Sometimes when I was in Iraq, it drove me crazy not to have info. But it's the way it was. I had to deal with it. I had to persevere. But we all have distractions in our lives. It's good for us to take time to think and meditate about the things. You know, when we give up things in our lives, and now we're in a period of Lent where people give up things. Okay, well, you gave up something. Well, what are you going to put in its place? If you give up social media, or looking at secular social media, start picking up more devotional books and read them. Start assuring yourself that you're going to spend more time in prayer. Because the object, even of Lent, and Christians should be doing Lent in a sense all the time, is what I believe, that if you're going to give up something, you need to put something right in its place. And that rightness means more time and devotion to the Lord. That's the heart of the meaning of all that. 
If the Lord calls you to do something, and sometimes, you know what, in those times of meditation, he may call you to do something special. Your, your best answer is two words. Yes, Lord. He's very capable of calling us to do unusual things. But your best answer is yes, Lord. Two words, and then two more words. Three words. Let's do Nike. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Demetrius had the testimony. And we also speak well of him. And you know, John, listen to what John says. And you know that our testimony is true. John says, I walked with Jesus. I was there when he died. I saw him when he was resurrected. I don't know if this point he'd been thrown in a pot of oil yet or not and survived it. I do not know. But that's what happened. At least church tradition has it that way. And you know our testimony is true. Character. Character. You know we have a very difficult time finding character in our society anymore. You know we need to be the best example of character in this world, in this nation, if it's to have any hope. It's you and me. It is the church at large. We need to live the lives of Demetrius. And more importantly, we need to live the life and the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. No flaw in his character, but he chose and he came a path of suffering. And how did he live? How did he live? He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. But so many of us feel like we have to defend our integrity all the time. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus just went on and continued with the mission God gave him to do. And when he suffered, he did not threaten him. Threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Then it goes on to tell what Jesus did. Family, what kind of character do you and I have? What kind of press is being written in our lives in this area? Today it's about character. When I preach in two weeks again, we're going to go in humility. And I hope you're all here and, and more so because we need to understand the nature of Christ's humility from what's called the great kenosis passage in Scripture. Talking about how this one who was, who's God Almighty emptied himself. And what did he empty himself of? And lived as a humble servant who could easily come and wipe the world out and reign as king. You think about that. It's a very important topic. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord, truly, you are good. We give thanks for the example of the character that Jesus and, and these other people in Scripture gave for us. Lord, that we can learn how to live and to walk in this Christian life. So many times we can sit and talk about words like character. We can talk about words about humility and obedience and Lord, we can talk about it through blue in the face until we figure out how to live it is what matters. That's at the core. We don't have to be defending ourselves all the time. But we need to walk in faith and a loving walk with you. We don't have to argue with people, and maybe that's not the best way to go. And yes, at times we need to defend the faith from those who would attack it. But we need to do that in a loving spirit. Lord, help us to go forth 
anti-mimic, anti-imitate Christ in this world so people can see his light. And certainly many of them come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Get into the Word of God today. We're 
going to continue in Philippians chapter 2. Our subject continues to be Jesus Christ, the center of our unity. And basically these messages are going to look over Christ's character, Christ's humility, and Christ's obedience. But the goal is that these things belong to us as well. To know that Christ being our example, that we should follow in his steps, as it says over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses that I had read last week, and we may look at again today. Um, but last week where we stopped, we, we ended in talking, beginning to talk about uh, two ladies in the church at Philippi, Yodi and Sintiki, who were having great difficulties between each other, and it was causing division within that congregation. Uh, it was causing division. Division is an important study. Some of you have been in places, you know what it's like to have division at work where people are fighting and arguing against each other. And my goodness, sometimes it happens in the military, although we pretend it never happens. Uh, it does. People fight, battle, play games, or whatever you want to call it. It happens in our context as well. And the sad thing for the church is when it happens in the church, it doesn't just affect the church body, but it also affects its church witness throughout the world in many ways. Let us pray and we'll read uh, the scripture and, and look back at some of these things as they relate to unity and the character of Christ today. Lord, open our eyes today that we might behold wondrous things uh, from your law, from your word. And Lord, help us to learn through your Holy Spirit how to implant them into our daily living. Help us to keep our eyes lifted up and looking to you, the giver of all good things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In first, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on how many purposes? One purpose. Not many purposes. And we need to know what the one purpose is. We really do. Churches have covenants. Churches have creeds. Goodness, we read the Apostles' Creed just a little bit ago together. To the early church, that was their purpose. We can't ever lose sight of something. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I really feel led of the Lord to talk about this today. Our presence here, our presence in this world, our witness to this world is centered upon what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Right from the start. The interesting thing is, as messed up as the church at Corinth was, and then you can ask yourself this question. These letters were written to Christians. These letters weren't written to lost people. Why would the Apostle Paul have to write an entire chapter? Now, I want you to know division, chapter divisions did not exist in the early church. But... We know that 58 verses, I think this is the longest chapter in the New Testament, 
all devoted to a defense of the resurrection of Christ to his church. This is not a defense of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection of the world, to the world. It's to us. Why in the world would the Apostle Paul have to prove the resurrection to a group of believers? I don't get it to this day, but I am so grateful it's there. You want to know why? This is our one purpose. This is what it's all about. If you don't know this, if this doesn't grip your heart, you better ask yourself if you're really in it at all. And Paul says it right here. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Paul, in the earlier chapters, talked and addressed just about every major issue. Now, they were having lawsuits against each other. There was incest going on in this church. Divisions, unbelievable divisions in the Corinthian church. And not far from the end of the book, he has to go and spend most of his time, because you guys better look at yourselves and see if you're true believers at all. You don't think so, let's read ahead. Now I want, you to, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I passed on to you as most important, the highest priority, what I also received, that number one, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Old Testament, the, whole, hey, the New Testament wasn't completed at the time the book of Corinthians was written. It was probably written sometimes in the 50 AD time period. What it says written in the scriptures is this was foretold in the Old Testament. Is what was happening. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then it appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and he appeared over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, and most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep or some have passed on. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Why Paul said that was is because Paul never saw Jesus during his ministry. Paul saw Jesus on the Damascus Road well after the resurrection. Knocked him off his high horse, as you know. Family, if you have been saved, this is your purpose and our one purpose as a congregation. It is to show this light of Jesus Christ in our lives, what he has done for us as a believing individual and a faith community. Worship is a full aspect of life. It goes into our spiritual disciplines. It goes into our presence in the house of God. It goes how we show our testimony in the world. And it shows what we did a little bit ago in our giving. Because as you know, giving is also an act of worship. United in one purpose. United because that Savior of ours was crucified, buried, died, or dead. 
buried and rose again the third day. This is our great hope. Why would the Apostle Paul have to spend all 58 verses to encourage Christians to believe? To believe in Jesus Christ in the sense of who he was and that he did what he did. Well, if they were in the faith, he did that for them. And if you're in the faith, he died for you. You are reconciled to God. You have a restored relationship to God. You now walk in faith in him. Let us read on. Intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. others. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at some of the section regarding um, empty conceit, uh, things of that nature. Here's what happened in this church, or in any church. Some people come in with ambition. Some people have high, powerful positions. Maybe they live in the world and they bring that into the church. And maybe sometimes they're natural leaders. That's understandable. But I want everybody to understand, in, in all of us, in all of our contexts, just because you do great in the world or just because you do great in the military career, you don't necessarily take that and bring that to the church and, and, and enforce that there as well in a church body. You and I have to do what God's called us to do in the church body. And God, it's already stated in Scripture who God's called to lead a congregation. One is pastors or elders. The other ones are, have been called deacons. And we don't have deacons here because we're not in a sta- we can't be an established body in that sense for constitutional reasons. But we do have some people who have served here a long time who kind of serve as leaders, and that's understandable. But the fact of the matter is, how we lead and things like that, if we come in and we start forcing our will on others, that's called selfishness. Those are the kinds of things that probably crept up with Yodi and Sintiki and brought the problem along the way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That is a very important word. And you know, I did a little bit of an etymological research on that word. And it's interesting because originally that word meant a day laborer. And I was like, a day laborer? And I'm wondering, how in the world did it start there and come to what it eventually came to mean? We're going to look at a character shortly who exhibited every bit of this uh, selfish ambition and empty conceit within a church that caused great disruption in the New Testament here in a little bit. But really, these people, this word comes from a day laborer to conduct one such to work for a daily hire. Now, eventually, it became to be referred to as an individual who, uh, who walked with a sense of baseness, selfish interest, ambition, and contention. If somebody would like to go around and cause trouble and have to be the person in charge. Furthermore, it says, we do best to see a reference to the despicable nature of those who do not strive after glory, honor, and immortality by perseverance in good works, but who think only of an immediate gain is the best way to understand epithea as base self-seeking. Or simply baseness, the nature of those who cannot lift their gaze up to higher things. 
They're not looking at the greater purpose. They're not looking at the greater thing that I read to you in Corinthians a little bit ago, what Jesus did. The power of God has not touched their life because they're living in a worldly way. Or maybe he did touch their lives at one time and they're walking in the ways of the world that they used to walk in. And Christians are very capable of that. Let's be honest here. Very capable of that. But Paul says this is not supposed to be anywhere named in your congregation. Say, well, we've had places where these things happen. Why do we have to strive for love? Love isn't easy, is it? (laughs) It's an easy path. Walking with the Lord in the path of suffering is not an easy way to walk. When Jesus said, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he said, well, you're going to follow me, you lay it all aside. You're dead, you're living a new life. Everybody, when Jesus said that, understood what what he meant. Anybody who went to the cross was not going back home, folks. What did it mean when Jesus said, follow me? Well, he meant you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. It's not an easy road. As old as I am right now, it's not an easy road. And I was saved as a young man at 11. It hasn't been an easy road. But does that mean you quit? Does it mean you stop and drop? I can't do this anymore. You know what? God likes to hear I can't do this anymore in our prayers. All right? (laughs) Sometimes he'll bring us to the end of ourselves. And that's when you die to yourself. And that's when he says, okay, now it's time. Let's get it right. That's called surrender. A term we don't often hear anymore in our churches. Surrender. We must surrender ourselves to him. Surrender ourselves to what he's called us to do. Rivalry, jealousy, and all those things in a congregation are going to do no good for the cause of the gospel of Christ. They're going to do no good for your walk as a Christian. You know... (laughs) William Booth was once asked, the founder of the Salvation Army, do you have any regrets or anything that you think you would have done differently during your walk of faith? And I still shake my head when I hear his response. No, there's nothing I would change. I'm like, whoa, he must have really figured it out. And you know, perhaps William Booth did. Great men of the faith like Charles John Wesley William Booth, who I just mentioned, George Mueller in England, many others. Some of my heroes, David Brainerd, Jonathan Edwards, walked with the Lord in ways that sometimes I don't understand. If you read some of their writings, I, I'm pretty sure that you may not understand some of them either. But it starts with desire. You have a desire to walk with the Lord. You can't do it if you have things like jealousy, selfishness, empty conceit. We can't delude ourselves with these things. Not everybody in the church is called to be a leader. Now let's look over at uh, 3 John. I want to give you a biblical illustration of one of the characters who illustrates this perfectly, what I'm talking about today. In 3 John, there's a character named Diotrephes. You know, let me tell you something. 
You know, we can talk about not wanting bad press. You don't, you don't want to have your name bad press spread over the Navy Times or whatever publication there is out there. But man, when you're talking about the book that's written by the Holy Spirit, you don't want to have bad press. And Diotrephes has lived through 2,000 years now with bad press. And I hope that he had fixed the problem that is, he is described as having here in this, in this passage. John is writing to a man named Gaius, who was a faithful believer in the church. But he writes and notates this individual who he heard about. And now here's another shake-your-head moment. How in the world would this guy say horrible things about the Apostle John? But this happened. This is real. And you know what's a picture of some things that has happened through the church that has gone on through over, over 2,000 year plus period? But John says in verse 9, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, loves to be first, craves being the leader. This is a very strong word that this man insisted on being prominent in the church, and he was going to have no rivals. He would tolerate no rivals among that body to the extent that not only would he say bad things about people, but his actions indicated who he was. Let's read on. He does not accept what we say. When John is talking about what we say, he does not accept the apostles' teaching. Is that a red flag? Folks, people who speak to you and stuff and do not believe the word of God, that's a huge red flag. A huge. John was the beloved disciple. John was the one that Jesus was most likely closest to. John had a unique walk with Christ. But John was one time called the son of thunder. He didn't always have that loving glow about him, believe me. He's the one who called down, said, Jesus, shall we call down fire now to devour these people? Because they were rejecting the word. Jesus says, stop. You don't, even, you don't know what spirit you're of. This is not what I came here for. I did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. I think John got the message. And John's answer here was very gentle about Diotrephes because he could have been much stronger. John had authority. But he, Diotrephes did not accept the apostolic teaching because he did not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. I'm going to go before the church. And I'm going to witness to the things and the problems that this man has caused, this man Diotrephes has caused. To the witness of the church. Not just where this church was, wherever he was writing to, but the church at large. unjustly accusing us with wicked words, not satisfied with this. See, Diotrephes went a step further. Not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either. When he says receives the brethren, there were many traveling ministers in those days. And they came to churches seeking uh, to stay, and they would stay at people's homes, and they would minister to those congregations. Now, some of them were false ministers. But many of them were, were true ministers going around and, and they were kind of traveling missionaries. We have those in our time. And they would seek a place to stay, but Diotrephes made it a point 
to get in the way because this man was going to have no rivals. One of these missionaries come in here and the people accept him. By golly, no way, that ain't going to happen. I will have no rival. So he wouldn't let them come. And not only that, but any church member that would take them in, he would have excommunicated. You go ask yourself, well, what kind of church would allow an individual to have that type of power? Folks, well, not the first time it's happened in church history. It's very capable of happening in our day. But he did that. He exercised his personal vanity in the church. He exercised worldly characteristics. His character was out of whack. His character was not indicative of the love that Jesus said for us to have toward one another. A new commandment I give to you that you what? That you love one another. Paul says, let each of you look out for the interests of each other. Not your own interests. Right here in this passage in Philippians. That is character. That is how we respond to each other. We don't do the deeds of diatrophies. We're human beings and we're very capable of doing that. We're very capable even as Christians out of stepping out into backsliding or whatever and acting in ways that we wouldn't normally act. Diatrophies was bad medicine for that church. Not, bad, not just bad medicine, he was poison to that church. Families, that's why Paul writes, we must strive for the unity. We must strive for the oneness, the togetherness of the faith. Well, you ask me, Chaplain Rinaldi, then you say all this, what's a cure for this? Well, there are a couple of cures. God is good. <laughs> Some of them were written right here. But one of them is striving to be godlike. Godliness. Simple godliness. Paul writes in Ephesians, or a few pages over, Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Whoa, how do I do that? That word imitate comes from the Greek word that we get the word mimic from. Basically, we do what Jesus taught us to do. Now, we know he gave us the new commandment. We know that the Holy Spirit wrote through the apostles stuff talking about how we are to strive for unity, unity among the congregations. Why it's so important? Because one of the greatest military strategies, as Satan knows very well, is called divide and conquer. That's why we all together strive for the unity of the body of Christ. And as I talked about in prior sermons, the church hasn't been very good about keeping the unity of faith throughout the centuries. Not done a very good job at it. It's our job as believers to fix that. <coughs> we aren't sitting there in the pew and to be critics. You know, I, God's given you an opportunity in America for many, many places to worship. If you didn't come here, you'd probably go somewhere else. You know, I'd hope you would. We are a welcoming community here. But the fact of the matter is, if you're a believer, you need to be in the house of God. And you need to be a contributing member of the house of God. When you were saved, the Lord gave you spiritual gifts. Have you ever discovered, taking time to discover what yours is? It doesn't matter what you've done throughout your career and stuff. Our work in the ministry and stuff, and our work as Christians individually, regardless of our backgrounds, is never finished until the Lord calls us home. Now some can do and may do more than others. Some have served the Lord for many years. 
But you know what? At the end of the road, we're not going to say, wow, look at all the great things I've done for God. You know, you're not, a real believer isn't going to say that. We're just going to say, you know, I just did the best I could what the Lord called me to do. We just did our duty. We just did our duty. You know, when the day comes for me to leave this military in a few years, whatever accolades come and stuff like that, and you know, thank yous and things like that, I'm grateful for. But you know what? I just did my duty. <laughs> I was there. I didn't back down when I had to go to Iraq. I didn't back down when I had to go some t- tough uh, scenarios, deployments, whether it be in a hospital or otherwise. I just did my duty. I just did what God called me to do. And I give praise to him for that. Every one of you here have that opportunity. Every one of you. Every one of you are doing that now, and I thank God for it. Keep pressing on. I just did my duty. All praise and honor and glory go to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him, family. It's all about him. Godliness. Be imitators of God. As dearly loved children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you and me. Did that love grip you? And walk in love. Oh, goodness, there it is. Love word. (laughs) As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. It goes on there and talks about the characteristic lost people, but I want to talk about the characteristics for us as Christians. I can spend a lot of time talking about characteristics of lost people and their lostness and how some of us were that at one time. But we, as Christians, need to know how to live our lives or walk in love. And it is a challenge. It is a challenge to accept that that we were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us this example that we should follow in his steps. It's not easy to do. If you think it is, then I doubt you're walking in the faith at all. The challenge is there. Godliness is the cure. Love is one of the cures. Unity is another one of the cures. But to do that, you have to have godlike character. It says in 1 Timothy 4.8, for bodily discipline, this is what we call exercise, okay? I was at the gym yesterday after five-day break getting some exercise and some muscles so I could be strong in the pulpit today. (laughs) But it says it's only a little profit. What it's saying there, it's only temporary profit because we got to exercise again and again and again. Guess what? We got to exercise godliness over and over again. We got to practice that too. But see, godliness is better than physical exercise, and here's why. Because exercise is only of little profit, temporary, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present and for the life to come. Godliness, godlikeness, be imitators of God. It's very important. Imitate. It's where we get the word mimic from. I said earlier. It basically means a continual type of behavior. Do not imitate that which is evil. Don't continue that, continually imitate that which is evil like Diotrephes did. Imitate what is good. 
Let's talk about a good godly example. Let's talk about getting some good press, some good media in Scripture. Back over in First John, or Third John, I'm sorry, if you want to uh, go back over there. Let's read about somebody who did it right. He did it right. In fact, he did it so correctly that, that John called him out for it. The letter was written to Gaius, who was walking right. But there was another man in the church who John noted who had a testimony, and this man's testimony got out to other churches in that part of the world at that time, that the apostle said, voila. You don't want to be like Theocrates, but let me tell you right now, this guy named Demetrius, he's got it right. So if you look down in verse 12, it says, everyone, look at that, everyone speaks well of Demetrius. And not just people. Listen to this. Even the truth itself. Demetrius wasn't just the man who was kind and gentle and living the walk of love in front of other people. But he loved the word of God and he was putting the word of God into action in the way he lived his life and the people in that congregation knew it. They knew probably if they needed a Bible answer man, Demetrius was the guy to get it from, not Diotrephes. Everybody was afraid of Diotrephes, I'll tell you that right now. I'm sure not anybody wanted to really go around him. But everybody, everybody knew Demetrius. Everybody knew Demetrius as that loving man who worked toward the unity of that church, who understood scripture. And his testimony was so good it even came to the attention of the Apostle John. And John said, if you can't imitate, you can imitate anyone, mimic anyone right in your church, you need to take a look at Demetrius' life. And that's what you want to do. The truth itself speaks well for the way Demetrius is living out the Christian life. Family, I'm telling you, and I'm serious, with all my heart, you and I can't grow in, our, in the Christian faith if we're not taking part in the spiritual disciplines of reading our Bible, praying, meditating, sometimes fasting as God calls us to do that, giving up things, living our lives simply, that's giving up things. We don't need all these things in our lives that distract us from attention to the glory of God. One of my biggest dangers, if I say for distractions, is social media. I'm an infomaniac family. I really am. I'm an infomaniac that it can keep my attention for good. I was a journalism major uh, when I was in college years ago, and I never lost my curiosity that way. I got to have info, and I got to have it now. <laughs> Sometimes when I was in Iraq, it drove me crazy not to have info. But it's the way it was. I had to deal with it, I had to persevere. But we all have distractions in our lives. It's good for us to take time to think and meditate about the things. You know, when we give up things in our lives, and now we're in a period of Lent where people give up things. Okay, well, you gave up something. Well, what are you going to put in its place? If you give up social media or looking at secular social media, start picking up more devotional books and read them. Start assuring yourself that you're going to spend more time in prayer. Because the object, even of Lent, and Christians should be doing Lent in a sense all the time, is what I believe, that if you're going to give up something, you need to put something right in its place. And that rightness means more time and devotion to the Lord. 
That's the heart of the meaning of all that. If the Lord calls you to do something, and sometimes, you know what, in those times of meditation, he may call you to do something special. Your, your best answer is two words. Yes, Lord. He's very capable of calling us to do unusual things. But your best answer is yes, Lord. Two words, and then two more words. Three words. Let's do Nike. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Demetrius had the testimony and we also speak well of him. And you know, John, listen to what John says. And you know that our testimony is true. John says, I walked with Jesus. I was there when he died. I saw him when he was resurrected. I don't know if this point he'd been thrown in a pot of oil yet or not and survived it. I do not know. But that's what happened. At least church tradition has it that way. And you know our testimony is true. Character. Character. You know we have a very difficult time finding character in our society anymore. You know who needs to be the best example of character in this world, in this nation, if it's to have any hope? It's you and me. It is the church at large. We need to live the lives of Demetrius. And more importantly, we need to live the life and the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. No flaw in his character, but he chose and he came a path of suffering. And how did he live? How did he live? He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. But so many of us feel like we have to defend our integrity all the time. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus just went on and continued with the mission God gave him to do. And when he suffered, he did not threaten him. Threatened. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Then it goes on to tell what Jesus did. Family, what kind of character do you and I have? What kind of press is being written in our lives in this area? Today it's about character. When I preach in two weeks again, we're going to go in humility. And I hope you're all here and, and more so because we need to understand the nature of Christ's humility from what's called the great kenosis passage in Scripture, talking about how this one who was who's God Almighty emptied himself. And what did he empty himself of? And lived as a humble servant who could easily come and wipe the world out and reign as king. You think about that. It's a very important topic. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord, truly, you are good. We give thanks for the example of the character that Jesus and, and these other people in Scripture gave for us. Lord, that we can learn how to live and to walk in this Christian life. So many times we can sit and talk about words like character. We can talk about words about humility and obedience and Lord, we can talk about it through blue in the face until we figure out how to live it is what matters. That's at the core. We don't have to be defending ourselves all the time. But we need to walk in faith and a loving walk with you. We don't have to argue with people, and maybe that's not the best way to go. And yes, at times we need to defend the faith from those who would attack it. 
But we need to do that in a loving spirit. Lord, help us to go forth and to mimic and to imitate Christ in this world so people can see his light. And certainly many of them come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.